0: So, um, I wanted to open up with, a, uh, with a, a Facebook post I found this morning from um, the church history page, so they're pretty good, um, they put a lot of good content up, just wanted to kind of read this out, just to kind of get, set, set the tone for Pentecost, not that I need to set any tones, we've kind of been rocking out all morning, thank you worship team for that wonderful worship. Today is Pentecost. This is the day in church history in which the Holy Spirit was poured out onto the apostles and the believers with them in the upper room. This day represents the birth of the church. The word Pentecost in Greek means 50th day. Pentecost is both the 50th day from the Jewish Passover and from Jesus' resurrection. The day was originally the celebration of Jewish holiday, Shabbat. Forgive me if that's not correct pronunciation. Also known as the Feast of Weeks, a harvest celebration. It also represents the day the Torah was given from Moses to the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai. Mm. The first Pentecost, which the disciples celebrated after the ascension of our Savior, is, next to the appearance of the Son of God on earth, the most significant event, says church historian Augustus Neander. It is the starting point of the apostolic church and of that new spiritual life in humanity, which proceeded from him and which since has been spreading and working and will continue to work. Historian Philip Schaff says, Pentecost is the beginning of his spiritual omnipresence in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now I just like to see that in my Facebook feed this morning. So yeah. um, You'll have to forgive me, I didn't get a PowerPoint put together, but it's going to um, largely be, the, the message largely will be a, a lot of scripture observation, hopefully. Um, you did get, hopefully, in your um, bulletins the outlines for chapters 2A and B of the Holy Baptized in the Holy Spirit series. We will only be picking off of those. I'm not, um, I'm not going to like work through it because it takes a long time, actually. And we are already pretty far behind. So, <laughs> um, as the Spirit leads, right? Um, I'm actually hopefully going to accomplish um, like an old, very, very brief Old Testament survey of the Holy Spirit, New Testament uh, um, expressions and uh, survey, and then tie that into the church history as well, which is kind of the goal of chapters 2A and B, It's to really just kind of give a full rundown of all the different promises and activities and manifestations and continuations of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit. Um, the way I think I'll try to accomplish that is kind of looking at uh, a little bit more covenant theology approach. Um, there's many different ways to observe the Holy Spirit, specifically in the Old Testament. Um, you can just simply do a word search, you know, the Spirit of God, and there will come up with dozens and dozens of different passages throughout the Old Testament showing where the Spirit of God was at work um, and active and doing things in, uh, throughout all of history. Um, but what we're going to do today is kind of look at the covenants. Um, If you've never studied covenant theology, it's a way of kind of observing um, the the movements of God as a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God in a progressive revelation that builds upon itself from covenant to covenant to covenant. And you can actually see the flow of history and the flow of the entire scriptures through that lens. And it's very helpful. Um, It is not, it should be noted, it is not dispensations (laughs) uh, in the sense of dispensationalism, which is a common, um, I would say, error of theology that's present today in the church very widely. Um, These are not Fresh movements that God is doing, completely disjointed from one another, going from one to one to one, they are very much built upon each other. Consider it as a progressive revelation of who God is and his work and intentions with all of creation um, and the redemption of man and the revealing of his son, Jesus Christ, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and then the purposes of the church. You can see that progression um, as the backdrop of these different Adamic, or the different covenants. I want to go through Adamic, Abrahamic, or Noahic, Abrahamic, Mosaic, Davidic, and the New Covenant and kind of highlight how the Holy Spirit was a part of each one, if we could. Um, It's worth noting that there are some more theological covenants um, that are referenced that aren't exactly as explicit, even though they are referenced in Scripture, one being the Eternal Covenant. The eternal covenant is referenced in Hebrews, but it's not something that you see a ton of. There's just an indication of, and then it's not too hard to extend that theologically. But the eternal covenant is between or is within the Godhead, it's within the uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Their eternally existent love and experience and joy and pleasure and life together within that love and life that they held eternally existent never created never began never ended just is out of that place god said let there be light out of that place god formed the heavens and the earth out of that place came all things all of creation and in that eternally existent life and love and fellowship within the godhead there was a covenant a covenant of, that purposed for the Son of God to come and die to betroth the bride. To be separated from the Father for a brief time. Which is, if you think about it, God perfectly united and one and, and just perfectly one. How can there be ever a separation? How could that ever be a thing? Yet it is. So God created time (laughs) to describe this, to what's in his heart, what's going on within himself. He creates time, space, continuum, all the heavens and the earth and all of creation to reveal himself. And there was a covenant, there was a plan, there was a purpose with all of it. And that purpose, God is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. It happens. It happened. It is happening. So that one's important to recognize we could go in deeper to all of these, I suppose, but just to kind of set the stage, um, the Adamic covenant, or what's more properly called covenant of works, which is not—it's not as awkward. It's not a um, a pitting against itself of grace and works. That's not what that means. A covenant of works. Uh, the covenant of works or the Adamic covenant is God's covenant with Adam, giving him stewardship of the creation and dominion thereof, and blessing him and making him to be fruitful and multiplying and giving him purpose and mission. Um, and in that, that was the original uh, creation covenant with man. Um, and God gave him, the, gave man and woman and all living creatures the breath of life. So, I should have said the Holy Spirit was present in the eternal covenant as part and a functioning person and agent of the eternal covenant, has perfect symmetry and participation in that covenant and its administration through time. But the Holy Spirit is also present in the Adamic covenant as the breath of life. And just prior to that, in creation itself, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. He is active creating, life-giving, and sustaining God. The Holy Spirit is God. And the hovering over the waters is an important image, and we'll kind of work with that. In the Noahic Covenant... um, there's a an image, or there's a there's an event where the waters have come, uh, they've deluged the whole earth. God has destroyed everything except Noah and his family, and uh, to a pair of every living creature except a couple extra pairs of the clean animals for sacrifices once they land, and once they make it through. Noah sends a raven out, and the raven returns. Noah sends a dove out, and I'm trying to remember if I have my count right. I didn't even put it down on my notes. There's a the dove comes back. He waits, and then the dove goes out again, brings back an olive leaf or olive branch, but I think olive leaf, and then the dove goes back out again after seven days and doesn't return. So if I'm off on of my count, forgive me. Whatever. There's an image of the dove going out and hovering over the waters. Okay. I'll skip ahead a little bit and bring us to the new covenant and show the tie-in, I think, of the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus Christ after, the baptism, after his baptism as a dove. The imagery is stark. The imagery is, I say, conclusive. It's overlapping on purpose. That God was creating and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And in the new creation, after the destruction of the old, uh, very perverted and sinful creation, There is a new creation and a dove goes out and hovers over the waters. And then as Jesus Christ being baptized and commended by his father as blessed uh, or this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, the spirit of God descends on him and alights on him as the initiator and inaugurator of the new covenant, of the new creation. It's important to see the Holy Spirit's activity and manifestation in each new stage the new thing that God's doing that builds upon the previous and, issue, and brings forth new life. I want that to be really clear because that's important. Moses was also an anointed preacher, which we'll see throughout the entire Old Testament when men of God were risen up by God, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. He was a preacher of righteousness is what it's referred to as in the New Testament. He's an anointed man of God. So the Holy Spirit is present in the Noahic covenant and around the person of Noah as the, um, the uh, representative of all of creation and God um, in the dominion thereof. Abrahamic covenant. Abraham had a, we talked about it in one of my previous sermons, the uh, the suzerain covenant style event where he falls asleep and the animals are split, or you know, cut in half really, and separated and stuff. And then there's the smoking covenant, oven and flaming torch that pass through the center of of those animals, taking on, symbolizing that, first off, it's God doing that, but second, and the Holy Spirit at that, that's the Holy Spirit's manifestation in that covenant ceremony. And the Holy Spirit is passing through the center, pledging that he will uphold the covenant and take the curse of the covenant for us and for Abraham and all of his descendants. Okay? Okay. The Holy Spirit is therefore present in the Abrahamic covenant. The Mosaic covenant is actually a little bit easier to see all the different events of the Holy Spirit and the manifestations. The entire idea of Shekinah, uh, the Shekinah glory, is the manifest power, presence, and there's fire, there's smoke, there's thunderbolts and thunder, lightning bolts and thunder. I mean, it's the power of God is in the Shekinah. That's what alights on the mountain uh, of Sinai. That's What um, actually fills the tabernacle and knocks everybody over is the Holy Spirit's presence. God in the midst of his people. Powerfully active. And it is indeed the finger of God that Moses performs all the miracles and delivers the uh, nation of Israel out of Egypt. God doing those miracles in and through and around Moses is the Holy Spirit's activity. Creating and betrothing a people unto himself taking them out of bondage and making them a new thing. At Mount Sinai, there's an event where Moses is judging all the peoples and it's necessary that there would be helpers. So 70 elders were set apart and um, I think it was, what, 68 actually made it to meeting, two missed the meeting, and, but all 70 got a portion of Moses' anointing. The Holy Spirit of God on Moses was given in a measure to all 70 of them, and they prophesied. Okay? So we see these manifestations of the Holy Spirit. We'll keep going, but just to kind of frame it again, all of these are manifestations of the exact same Holy Spirit we have today. He is eternally existent, immutable, unchanging, Progressively revealed, mind you, in time, we get more and more experience with the Holy Spirit, and we can learn more over the course of time and throughout history, but he has never changed. He is not a new Holy Spirit. He's not a separated Holy Spirit from that time in uh, in history to this time to this time. Continuity. So when we see elders prophesying, that's a foreshadowing of the intention of God with man in the Holy Spirit filling them when we see the power of God filling the house that's an intention and foreshadowing of God filling his church with the Holy Spirit I also like the one about Bezalel was given the spirit of wisdom and all types of craftsmanship being a tradesman myself I often pray for (laughs) Bezalel the spirit of God to fill me like Bezalel I need help in my craft (laughs) God make me great at it Um, But that's available as well, to me, to you, because it's the same Holy Spirit yesterday, today, and forever. I'll skip the book of Judges, although it's noteworthy, because there's not a specific new covenant in the the time of the Judges, but it is really noteworthy to almost every single one of the Judges that I saw. I, I think I found one that was missing, but I can't remember which one it was. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, literally clothed with the Holy Spirit is how it's uh, termed. God came on them. In fact, in Gideon, uh, which is uh, Judges 634, the Spirit of the Lord clothed himself with Gideon. And so the way that that actually breaks down in pictures is the Holy Spirit filled Gideon like a hand would fill a glove. Really powerful image to me. But again, this is a foreshadowing. This is a intention of what God intends with the Holy Spirit and man for all time. And these are just breadcrumbs, if you will, throughout the Old Testament. The Davidic covenant, of course, we know that David was anointed with oil by Samuel, the prophet, right? Um, and And about that time was when the Holy Spirit came on him. And he started to be risen up in the midst of the people. He started to have power encounters um, with the influential. Uh, the Goliath is important to recognize. That was done in the Spirit of God. That faith and that courage to stand up when everyone else was cowering and do the thing that no one else could was done through the Holy Spirit's infilling of David. David playing music and driving the demonic tormenting spirit from Saul and causing comfort and soothing to ensue in Saul's spirit that was done because of the anointing of the holy spirit in David's life he was able to conquer just keep on running around conquering enemies left and right all over in exile and keep survive and conquer all of Israel's enemies Continuing to vanquish, continuing to extend and purge the land of all the things that were undone from Joshua through the book of Judges, through King Saul's reign, to bring the land to peace. He conquered throughout the land by the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. God was with David. The Psalms themselves were inspired by the Holy Spirit, and an entire worship movement began during that time. Where the tabernacle, because if you notice in the Psalms, there's a lot of different authors. Many of them are from David. But from his one, the one worshiping heart, that one Holy Spirit anointing, many people were filled with the Holy Spirit and uh, spoke, sang, and created psalms that are literally the inspired word of God. God breathed through all of these different authors in his inerrant word, in these inerrant psalms. The anointing that was coming from God and David and the Holy Spirit started to disperse, started to spread and was manifest in the, in the people, and in the tabernacle and in the worship. A little bit after David, of course, when his son Solomon completed the temple, the temple was filled with the Shekinah. The same Shekinah that filled the tabernacle that came from the mountain Zion, or Mount Sinai, excuse me. Down into the tabernacle is the same Shekinah that manifested over the Ark of the Covenant, but also came in power and knocked everybody over in, uh, at the dedication of the temple. Again, all of these are foreshadowings of what God would intend to do in the New Covenant. So the New Covenant was foretold. And we actually, uh, Teresa read Ezekiel 37, um, Ezekiel 36, Isaiah 59-21, Jeremiah 31, 31 31-34, and a couple places in Ezekiel, actually, um, and the prophet Joel, all foretold, and many other places, foretold of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of promise, coming to his people. It was always part of God's plan, to pour out His Spirit on all flesh. And it was prophesied over and over and over again. In fact, I'd like to actually take the time to look at some of those passages. So let's go to Ezekiel 36. The promise of the Holy Spirit in 37 was read, and that's 37, 14. I will put my Spirit within you, and you will come to life, and I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it. But the chapter previous... Verses 22 through 38. This is a little bit longer one. Therefore, says, or therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which you have profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh." I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers, so you will be my people and I will be your God. We actually don't have to go through all the rest of it. Cleansing, taking out, of, um, taking out from among the nations. This is Israel in exile for the record. Ezekiel prophesied um, during the exile. And so Israel has been removed from the land. They've been scattered among the nations. Uh, There's a uh, portion of Jews in Babylon that Ezekiel ministers to and ministers in front of. And these are the ones that are receiving this word. They are defeated. They are crushed. They are afflicted by God for their sins and in the righteous punishments of the covenant from Moses, Moses, all of the uh, sanctions that were promised that they swore to as a people had come to fulfillment and they were exiled. And God is promising them refreshing, cleansing, new hearts, new spirit, new life in Him. And, give us more of your and He puts His statutes. Within their heart and causes them to walk in it. Let's look at Jeremiah 31. This is pre exile, on the way out. Verses 27. Actually, let's go 31 through 34. Excuse me. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. With the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. The forgiveness of God is promised in this new covenant. This is a prophecy of the new covenant, which was what we also just read. They contain the same promises, which is how you know they're talking about the same thing between Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Cleansing, forgiveness, new heart, law on the heart. The only thing is, this one doesn't mention the Spirit, but I believe that's in another spot in uh, Jeremiah. So. But you know that the Spirit is promised in that new covenant because Ezekiel prophesied it. Jeremiah prophesied it. And Isaiah as well, Fifty-nine twenty-one in Isaiah. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit which is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your offspring, nor from the mouth of your offspring's offspring, says the Lord, from now and forever. The spirit is promised in this new covenant, my words, in the mouths of the people. But it's for your offspring and your offspring's offspring and your offspring's offspring's offspring? Mm-hmm. It is a perpetual inheritance. It is a perpetual covenant that keeps going from generation to generation to generation. And this is the will of God, is that the Holy Spirit would be passed down from fathers and mothers to children and children to children, children's children and grandchildren and all these things, right? generation to generation. This is always God's intention. As a parent, that actually really encourages me, a little sidebar, because I don't save my kids. You don't save your kids. God saves your kids. In fact, your kids are more God's kids than, your, than they're your kids. And he has promises for them. He wants them to know him. He will reveal himself to them. And he will give them His Holy Spirit. This is His intention. This is His promise. So in the new covenant, the Spirit is a fundamental aspect, if not like the aspect, right along there with forgiveness of sins. Fundamental promise for the recreation of the heart and the instruction in the law and righteousness with which we will be inscribed in the heart of our own the heart of flesh that he gives us. He will literally inscribe his law. He will give us his law like he gave it on Sinai, just the way he gives the spirit. And isn't it funny? Pentecost is the celebration of both of those things, the giving of the law and the spirit, and that's what he intends to get into us. No longer is an external thing that's manifest and imposed. It's now going to be a heart motivation. It's now going to be a wellspring of life and righteousness that he sovereignly creates in us. This is the new covenant that's promised, that is available to us through Jesus Christ. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Jesus, in his ministry, was filled with the Holy Spirit. We know at the baptism, well, first off, The spirit, uh, he had the spirit from birth, first off, because he was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, right? But there was a distinct difference when he had, when he was baptized and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. He was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for 40 days. And 40 nights, right? And then upon completion of those temptations, emerging victorious, thank you, Lord, he comes in the power of the Holy Spirit back to, I think it was, uh, might be Bethany or Bethsaida. But he goes, with tab, uh, he goes to one of, out of Luke, I think it is. Um, he goes to uh, one of the synagogues and proclaims Isaiah 61, I think, and then casts demons out of the people in the church, <laughs> the people in the synagogue, people that showed up for worship. Uh, he casts demons out of them in the power of the Holy Spirit. His ministry... Casting out demons, healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, raising the dead, is a ministry of the Holy Spirit through Him. And that ministry is given to us through the infilling of the Holy Spirit as a continuation of Jesus' victory and God's progressive redemption of all things in all creation. Jesus performs miracles by the finger of God. That's an indication that the kingdom of God has come among us. When these miracles and manifestations of the Holy Spirit occur, the finger of God, that same language that's described, or that, that is, uh, describes Moses' the, the power of God through Moses by the finger of God is the same language that Jesus uses to describe the casting out of demons. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. So the idea that I want to camp out next, that's kind of seeing the Holy Spirit present in each of the covenants, each of the moves of God, each of the the deeper promises of God taking hold in the earth by the sovereign hand of God. The Holy Spirit is an active agent therein. Okay? But the Holy Spirit getting to us was promised. Joel 2, on all flesh. Manservants, maidservants, uh, male, female, sons and daughters, old men, young, young men. So no socioeconomic barriers to the power of God. No uh, male and female divisions. No racial divisions. None of that. Everyone, all flesh, having access to the Holy Spirit is what was prophesied and what was delivered. It is the promise of the Father And I'd like to look at that. We have a couple minutes. I can get this done in a couple minutes. Let's go to John 14. We're going to skip through John 14, 15, and 16 just for snippet verses. I suggest you read this entire section in its entirety straight through regularly and often, but we're going to take a couple snippets here. Chapter 14, verses 16 through 18. I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Verse 26, same chapter. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring, you, bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Chapter 15, verse 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. Chapter 16 Verse 7 through 15. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For I do not go, For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take of Mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are Mine. Therefore I said that He takes of Mine and will disclose it to you. This Holy Spirit of promise that Jesus is pledging is the promise of the Father. And it is available to everyone. Luke 24, 49. I know we're doing sword drills here. I promise we're getting to the bottom of this. <laughs> sword drills, is what they called it in Sunday school class back in the day. You can tell I grew up in Sunday school. Oops. <laughs> Your Sunday school's showing. <laughs> 20, uh, Luke 24, Luke 24, And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, that you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Acts 1, 3-8. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. Which, he said, you heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Being baptized in the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. It is the Holy Spirit of old that has been promised, foretold, prophesied. That has been active in every covenant, every season of human history. We must be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it is available for you and your offspring, and your offspring's offspring, and your offspring's offspring's offspring. Now, I was going to read Acts 2, but since we got through the prophecy of Joel in Peter's sermon, which is the promise, I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. There were no limitations to people or whatever. I wanted to actually I wanted to read the whole thing, but we're out of time. So I will draw your attention to Acts 2, 38 and 39. They're asking, what shall we do? Because they're either convicted. Peter pegs them, you killed Jesus, <laughs> you killed the Messiah. Not cool. <laughs> They're like, what shall we do? <laughs> Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. I have belabored to make the point of the boundlessness availability of the Holy Spirit because there are doctrines that float around today that promote unbelief that leave us stiff-necked and hard of heart that literally say that the Holy Spirit's activity is not for today. That would be the most unbiblical assertion anyone could come up with other than Jesus Christ is not Lord or something. Is that the Holy Spirit is not for today? It is not, He does not, He is not available to you in power, and the baptism of the Spirit is somehow not necessary, that the gifts of the Spirit are inactive, that they somehow ceased. Hogwash. That's my PC term. I had other things going through my head. Hogwash. <laughs> That's ridiculous it is not the holy spirit of of the bible that's not who he is he is for today he is for us and we need him we need his infilling and we need his refilling and then another refill and another refill and another refill until the work is done unlimited refills mcdonald's got it from the holy spirit i promise <laughs> He was the first unlimited refill. (laughs) Would you like signs, wonders, and miracles with that? Oh my God, that's awesome. That's good. Okay. I will close this, this segment with John 7. I like verses 37 and 39. I will always just think of these. This is the way I think about it when it comes to the filling, the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the life of it. I got, this is the way I think of it. I don't know. There's many other images to describe it, but this is the one that hits me a lot. Now on the last day, uh, this is John seven thirty-seven through 39. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures say, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus had not yet, was not yet glorified. The Spirit that you are called and purposed by God to receive is supposed to be a river of living water, bubbling up from your innermost being, sourced from heaven itself. And it gives life, and life abundantly. the guys will come forward for the communion. Has anybody got a communion meditation that I don't want to skip? Okay, cool, all right. Uh, the gentlemen are ready. Uh, as we come on Pentecost Sunday to the table, Pentecost was a is, is, was and is, a demarcation. It was the giving of the law. It was the giving of the Spirit. It was the uh, Feast of Harvest. Feast of weeks or a harvest feast. It's also the birth of the church. Let this Pentecost be a demarcation. As the word of the Lord through Sister Roseanne spoke today, do not harden your hearts. Do not be stiff-necked. Today is the favorable day of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and the surrounding verses. As Josiah spoke this morning, pursue the Holy Spirit. Let it be heard, let it be clear. Cast off restraint, cast off unbelief. Be ardent and zealous for the pursuit of the Holy Spirit. Do not let the power of God promised to you and your future generations pass you by. Today is the favorable day of the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. And we must receive the promise of the Father afresh. All those who are the Lord's, come to the table, please.